0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at Candeochurch.com. Well, good morning. Uh, We are continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series this morning. And uh, even within the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the last couple weeks going into this week is kind of like a mini series of sorts where Jesus tells us specifically how to give, how to pray, and then this morning, how to fast. So I think if you were to ask Christians, what's the spiritual discipline that you wish you did more of? I think a lot of times the response I'd get to something like that is uh, prayer. I, I just wish I, I prayed more. I have not really talked to Christians who are like, you know what, I kind of pray too much. I need to back off on that one. <laughs> it's not typically a thing. But, but if you ask Christians typically, what's the spiritual discipline you never do? My guess is the answer you would get is fasting. Now what's interesting is fasting has actually been adopted in other forms in our culture today. And probably the most popular form uh is wrestling, right? And and cutting weight. And um I I know this might be shocking to you looking at my body type. I actually wasn't a wrestler in high school. Um that wasn't my thing. But I had friends, have friends who were wrestlers, and uh Stephen Jones, you know, in our elder meeting, he's like, Man, uh, as a wrestler, he's like, cutting weight, you get so hungry and thirsty. He goes, Jordan, I just like go to the drinking fountain and turn it on and just kind of like let the water come in and out. knowing I couldn't drink it, but it's just like the water just just tasted so good. I had another uh, actually friend who was in uh, my salt company D group way back when, and um, I talked to him recently, and he said, Jordan, there was one time I – I mean, cutting weight, the next day I was weighing in, we were out of town, I was in this unfinished basement, I woke up in the middle of the night freezing, hungry, thirsty, and he goes, Jordan, I went to the tank of the toilet, just let it fill up, and just like sucked it in, and spit it back out, like just kept doing it, and he goes, your mind goes to really weird places when you cut weight. I'm like, yeah, sounds like it. Um, so like wrestling has adopted fasting, but also other religions have adopted fasting. April 2nd is coming up, which marks the beginning of Ramadan for the, for the Muslim community, where they'll fast during the daytime. The Hindus will, will typically fast during certain days of the month or year, and then also in the, tr- the Jewish tradition, specifically Yom Kippur. And it, for us as Christians, we definitely, I would say, if we think about it, in our tradition we do have a category for this, right? And it's called Lent. We are in the middle of Lent, and uh, typically people will say, I'm giving up blank for Lent, whether that's uh, chocolate, caffeine, obviously most often it is meat. I was at Whiskey Road the other week, and they had a whole Lent menu that was like meatless food that, they, that you could have if you were on Lent. And so I don't know if you do that. That's not something I did growing up, but my understanding uh, from people I've talked to who did that growing up, it, it felt more like an obligation than, than like a delight in the Lord. And I think if we're being honest this morning, Christians, and specifically Christians in America, we don't fast. It's it's kind of a discipline that's disappeared in our life and in our Christian culture. And and people will do it for different reasons. They won't fast for different reasons, whether they don't really know what it is, um, they don't see the value in it, or they just don't like doing it so they don't do it. And if I'm being honest, of all the disciplines, I mean, I struggle with this at times. It's uncomfortable to hear your, you know, your stomach growling, to get the hunger pains, and you're going, why am I doing this? I just want some food. But Jesus in our text this morning says this. He says that he expects that his kingdom people would be a fasting people. So do you fast regularly? Or have you ever fasted I actually really love that um there we could have in the Sermon on the Mount series combined prayer and fasting. And just done it all last week. And, and you know, probably talked to the majority about prayer and then real quick hit fasting. I actually love that we're giving a, a whole sermon to this. There's so much that even I'm learning right now. And and this is a great thing for me personally in this season of life. You know, we just had our first uh, four and a half months ago, Asher. And boy, you want to throw a grenade in your spiritual disciplines, have a baby, right? I mean, I, this has kind of been like a reset button for me in my own personal walk with the Lord. Uh, and over the years, I've learned a lot about fasting from godly people like John Piper, Donald Whitney, John Tyson. And so I'm excited to open God's Word with you this morning uh, to see what God's Word has to say about fasting, and then also maybe some other faithful saints. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and start turning, if you're not already there, to Matthew 6. And I actually just want to start off by camping on the first three words of this passage. First three words say this, whenever you fast, whenever you fast. Which means Jesus isn't saying, if you fast, he's saying, when you fast. Again, there's an assumption from Jesus that his kingdom people would be a fasting people. But because I I don't think fasting is really in our culture, in our water, I actually want to start off, when when we say whenever you fast, I want to go, hey, let's build a foundation and say, what is fasting? First of all, why do we fast? And then let's get to how we should or should not fast, which Jesus clearly lays out for us in this passage. So let's start off talking about what fasting is. So what is fasting? I want to start by defining fasting for us. This is my best stab at it. Christian fasting is the voluntary act or practice of going without food for a certain period of time and for a specific spiritual purpose. Okay, so you can leave that slide up for you note takers. So it is, it is voluntary, okay? So this isn't an arm twist from Jesus. This is the choice of a believer. But also it is fasting specifically from food. Now, there are other forms of fasting that Christians do, whether that's, again, like caffeine, social media, TV. And, and a lot of Christians would lump that under the big umbrella of Christian uh, fasting, I think that's fine because there's a lot of spiritual benefit from those things. But when you look at the Scripture, the primary thrust when talking about fasting, it's talking about food. So that's going to be my focus this morning. And on top of that, I, I think it's also maybe saying um, food's not evil, right? We also see in God's Word that food is a great gift. There's a time for a fasting and a time for feasting. But I also think that our culture has this like, strange infatuation with food right now. Maybe kind of like a straight-up addiction at times. And so Jesus, I think, is going to press a nerve for us this morning that I would argue needs to get pressed a bit. Okay, so we're talking specifically about food, and it's for a certain period of time. Okay, so whether that's over a meal, a day, a week, sometimes people do this for a month. If that's a predetermined set time or you're saying, hey, I'm going to pray and fast until this prayer is answered one way or the other. It's a set period of time, and finally, it is for a spiritual purpose. This is an important concept. Um, because in our, our health world today, right, one of the popular things right now is intermittent fasting, which I, I haven't done that. I've talked to people who have done that, and it sounds like there's great benefit. Um, you know, which, quick side note, it's always kind of interesting to me when the secular world kind of like stumbles across biblical principles and then sees value in some of those things. It's almost like God knows what he's doing, right? But, But I'm not talking this morning about a health plan called intermittent fasting where the purpose is solely physical. I am talking about Christian fasting where the purpose is spiritual. So there's more I could say there, but that's essentially what fasting is. But I want to ask the more important question, why do we fast? See, fasting isn't a religious to-do list. It is not the end goal. It is a means to an end. As Jake said a couple weeks ago, why we do what we do is just as, if not more important than what we do. Why we do what we do is just as, if not more important than what we do. So why do believers fast? I want to give you three things, three thoughts. And the first I think is most important. Fasting shows that we value, desire, and long for God more than anything else in this world. Fasting shows that we value, desire, and long for God more than anything else in this world. Fasting physically communicates with our body that we have a hunger for God that is greater than any hunger we have in this world. Our desire for God is greater than anything this world has to offer. In John Piper's words, it's like a, it's like a physical explana- like explanation point saying, God, I want you. I need you. I want more of you. You are my treasure, my joy. And on top of that, it, fasting, it declares with our body that we long for the return Of our King. Fasting builds anticipation for the day when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. Now, I think this principle of anticipation is actually um, something that's pretty intuitive for us, whether you're a Christian or not. When we anticipate a big, delicious meal that's coming, we typically—what do we do? We typically eat less food leading up to it, right? Uh, So one fun fact— Uh, about me and Casey is we love hoo-hot. Hoo-hot's kind of our jam. I have loved hoo-hot for a very long time. I actually remember one Valentine's Day, I asked Casey, I'm like, hey, we'll go anywhere in the Cedar Valley. I opened the whole playbook up. I'm like, any restaurant you want to go to, where do you wanna go tonight for Valentine's Day? And she goes, I wanna go to hoo-hot. And I looked at her and I thought, I love you so much, (laughs) I love you so much. Asher, he is four and a half months old. He has already been to hoo-ha multiple times in his life, which I would argue is just good parenting, right? Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. I would just say we're obeying God's word. <laughs> so here's the deal though. I love hoo-ha. I want multiple plates at hoo-ha. So if I know I'm eating that hoo-ha at dinner that night, I will eat like applesauce for lunch. That's it. I actually had hoo-ha a, a couple weeks ago for lunch. And I, intentionally ate less food in the morning in anticipation for the lunch meal that was coming. Similarly, Christians, we fast in anticipation of a greater meal that is to come. You see, when we go to the book of Revelation, in Revelation 18, we see the evil city of Babylon judged. And then you get to Revelation 19, and this celebration begins to happen as Jesus has conquered the evils of this world. And this is what Revelation 19:7 says. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, listen to this, right. Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. You see, when Jesus comes back for his bride, it will be celebrated with a marriage feast with the Lamb. Christian, that is the reality that we look forward to with incredible anticipation. There is one day when we will no longer fast, but rather we will feast with our risen king. And in the same way that I intentionally eat less food or abstain from food to get ready for hoo-ha, how much more at times do we need to fast from food here on earth in anticipation of a greater meal that is to come? So I think some of you this morning, you're going to hear that and go, man, I think I need to start fasting in anticipation of the greater meal that is to come. I think others of you, when you hear that, have a much different action step. Because you are not a Christian, because you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ yet, your action step is simple. Put your trust in Jesus so that one day you can be a part of that feast. Now I want to be um, actually pretty direct with you this morning if you're in that spot because the Bible is very direct and clear on these things. The reality is, if you are not in Christ, if you've not put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says your path is not a great meal in heaven with Jesus, but rather a great judgment in hell with Satan. There is a sober reality to the gospel. We have to understand that Jesus is not with us here today because he went to that bloody cross and then rose from the grave and is now ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there he is today waiting for the day where he comes back to get his saints that he bought with his blood. And until that day, you have to understand there is an opportunity in front of you. If you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, an invitation to surrender your life to him, believe in Jesus and call him Lord and King of your life so that one day you can be a part also of that great wedding feast. So why do we fast? Well, first, we value, desire, and long for God more than anything else in this world. We long for him to come back. Second is this. uh, Fasting helps discern our hearts. It helps discern our hearts. This is also, I think, a pretty simple concept for us to understand. When you go without something that is necessary for your life, you learn a lot about yourself. I, I am telling you guys, I have learned more about myself in the last four and a half months of Asher being alive than the last four years of my life. When you go without sleep, you learn a lot about yourself. It's like looking in a mirror, and I am way more lazy, selfish, and angry than I ever thought. Like when he, when he cries at two or three a.m. in the morning, I turn into just kind of like a big grumpy ogre. It's, my, my primary response is anger and frustration. Which, guys, what, what's Asher doing wrong? I know he's a sinner that needs the saving grace of Jesus, but when he's 10 weeks old and crying at 2 a.m., all he's communicating is, hey, mom and dad, if you could continue to feed me, you know, day and night so I could keep living, that'd be great. That, the problem's not with Asher. The problem's with my sinful heart. God is growing me. He, when, when I am deprived of sleep, he exposes thing in, things in my life and my call is to identify those things exposed, repent of them, and run towards Jesus. In the same way, fasting, the lack of food, something we need in life, can have the same effect, can expose things in your life that you will need to repent of. Fasting will show you that you are still a broken sinner who needs Jesus. Fasting will expose what in this world really does have a grip on your heart. Fasting will show you Ultimately, what's at the bottom of your heart? And the hope is as those things get exposed, you would repent and you also would run to Jesus. So it shows we value God. It shows or helps discern our hearts. And finally, and this is important, fasting intensifies or strengthens our prayer life. Okay, so fasting, again, it's not an arm twist. It's an opportunity to deepen our communion with our Father through prayer. When you look at the Old and New Testament, fasting and prayer were often interwoven together with this deep relationship. Now, when I say that, though, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that every time you fast, that God is going to all of a sudden answer your prayer exactly the way you wanted him to or whatever, right? When you fast, it doesn't make God some kind of like genie in the bottle. Like Cody said last week, we align ourselves to God's will, not the other way around. But what I, what I mean when I say that, that it strengthens or intensifies our prayers. All I know is when I fast, I find myself praying more often and more deeply. I believe that there's power in prayer. And so when God gives us a pathway to intensify prayer, I say we take advantage of it. And because fasting is a forgotten discipline in, I believe, the American church, I just think we're missing out on an opportunity. You know, I heard a quote from... um, a believer who doesn't live in America, who actually lives in in the persecuted church, um, he was asked, what do you think about American Christianity? You know, he said, so much food, so little power. Christian, fasting intensifies our prayer life. What an opportunity we have in front of us. So, there's a handful of reasons I could give you more. I think that's a good foundation because I want to move towards how we fast now, okay? So we've talked about, all right, whenever you fast, so when Jesus is talking about what does that mean, what is fasting, why do we do it? Now let's move towards how should we fast. So go to verse 16. Jesus says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So Jesus is going to start off by telling us how not to fast. So again, we're in this mini-series talking about giving, praying, and now fasting. And all three of those things were at the core of the Jewish religious life. The problem was—those aren't bad things—the problem was the leaders were getting everything sideways. The Pharisees were taking the good practice of fasting and those other things, giving, praying— as an opportunity for self-righteousness. And so Jesus isn't condemning fasting, he's condemning the way people were fasting back then. He said, they're, they're gloomy like the hypocrites. Cody told us last week that hypocrite means actor. It's a theatrical performance. They would go around looking miserable and unhappy. They wouldn't bathe, they would put ashes on their head. Why? Because they wanted people to know, look what I am doing. Aren't you impressed? by my religiosity? Aren't you impressed by everything I'm doing for the Lord?" And Jesus again is going, yep, right thing, wrong motive. It's the right thing, you have horrible motives. Because their motive wasn't to honor God, their their motive was to impress others to get the praise from others. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Which Jesus has also said the last two weeks. And what he's saying is, sure, they'll get their praise from a fickle crowd, But they'll remain under the judgment of a holy God. They have their reward. So, if that's the warning on how not to fast, let's go on the positive side and go, well, then how should we fast? Jesus also gives us some clarity here. Verse 17 into 18. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Reward you. So, I'll give you three more things here, like how should we fast? The first, what Jesus just said, fast in secret in a way that is not obvious to others. So he talks about putting oil on your head, washing your face. He's essentially saying, you know, people shouldn't like notice that you are fasting. So fasting shouldn't be a public showing of praise, but a secret practice for intimacy with our Father. Very simply, when you fast, just act like it's another day, which I'm telling you guys, for me, it's tough. Again, with this discipline, there's a strong temptation. I want people to know that I'm fasting. Aren't you seeing what I'm doing? But Jesus calls us to fight against that. Fasting is an invitation to self-forgetfulness and communion with our Father. Now, if somebody asks you directly, are you fasting? I mean, don't lie, right? Uh, Or maybe you like pull in your spouse and let them know, but it shouldn't be obvious to the people around you. I usually, I, mean, I try to pick days and times when I'm not, like I know I'm not going to have a big meal with a bunch of other people, right? Sometimes it's unavoidable, but Jesus is saying, do what you can to fast in secret. Do what is seen in front of the Lord and him alone. So fast in secret, that's from our text. I'm going to give you a couple other principles that I think are helpful when we think of fasting. Replace your meals with times of prayer and opening God's word. So replace the meal that you were going to eat with times of prayer and opening God's word, I remember when I first started to try this practice of fasting. Guys, it was miserable. I would, I mean, I would, I would stop eating, and then over the lunch hour, I would just kind of like sit in a chair and stare at the wall, going, "When is this thing over? This <laughs> is horrible," you know. And I remember talking to Paul Sabino, just kind of articulating some of those things that I was feeling. And he goes, "Jordan, use the hour that you were going to spend eating food, and instead, replace that with prayer." And for whatever reason, when he said that, everything just clicked for me. Like, that makes sense, that makes sense. Replace it with prayer. Don't just take food away, replace it with something better. So act like it's a normal day, then on your lunch hour, go out to your car, go on a walk, go into your closet and pray. And finally, uh, last thing I would say is, is give purpose to your fasting. So again, rather than checking it off of some kind of religious checklist, give purpose to it. If there's something heavy on your heart, if there's a family member that you want to pray for, if there's a friend who's in sin that they they need to repent of and you wanna pray for them, there's a big decision on your plate that you need to make, pray and fast. Use that lunch hour. And then also like every time that your stomach growls, use that as a cue to go, oh yeah, I'm fasting for this purpose. Let me pray for that really quick. Guys, I'm telling you, I don't have to tell you this. When you look at the news, you can see brokenness all over us in the world around us, right? And I'm just saying, what would it look like for Candeo to be a beacon of light to the world around us, specifically through the pathways of fasting and prayer? This is, this is an invitation. This is totally optional, right? Not an arm twist. But but how about we all pick something? Something that's happening in our community, something that's happening in the world around us, and we pick a time slot, one of our lunch slots this week and go, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna fast during that slot for that thing. So whether it's locally, you want to pray for those who've been impacted by poverty or other brokenness here in the Cedar Valley or people you know specifically. Or maybe you look at a state and national level, you go, I want to pray for our state and national leaders, that they would make decisions that honor the Lord. Or obviously you look overseas and you go, I want to pray for the churches in Ukraine and Russia that they would continue to endure in this season and be an incredible light in a dark time. I don't know about you, but I believe in the power of prayer. So I just, I just imagine what it would look like for us as a church to start an underground movement of prayer and fasting that would push back the darkness in this world with the light of Christ. God has given us this pathway, we just need to take advantage of it. So pray in secret, replace meals with prayer and then give purpose to your fasting. So I say all that and then now I ask, now that we've talked about what it is, why we do it, how we should do it, is fasting the pattern of your life? It very clearly was something that Jesus valued. I mean, after he got baptized, he, he went 40 days without eating food, 40 days of fasting. So Jesus did it, and he assumed that his disciples would do it after he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, this is not obligation or legalism, Christian. This is a privilege for those who are in the kingdom of God. Listen to what Arthur Wallace has to say about this. In giving us the privilege of fasting as well as praying, God has added a powerful weapon to our spiritual armory. In her folly and ignorance, the church has largely looked upon it as obsolete. She has thrown it down in some dark corner to rust, and there it has lain forgotten for centuries. Then he says, An hour of impending crisis for the church and the world demands its recovery. So, Christian, are you ready to fast? Jesus gave no command on on how long you should fast or how often you should fast. So be led by the Holy Spirit and what that should look like. I'm just saying, identify where you're at and take the next step. We have a good father who who like a father with a child at the beginning of a zero entry pool, looks towards the deep end and says, one step at a time, I'm with you. Find where you're at and take the next step. And for fasting, I would say just take small steps. For some of you, it's going to be, I'm going to fast over the lunch hour, and I'm going to pray during that time. And guys, don't overcomplicate it. Eat breakfast that morning, and then don't eat any food. Just drink water until dinner that night. And then over that lunch hour, pray. Or maybe some of you guys, you go, yeah, I want to do a 24-hour fast, where you eat dinner, and then then you don't eat any food, drink only water until dinner the next day. And then you find those critical points uh, to fast. Um, I, do, I do want to say this, I think it's helpful to say, um, for some of you, you might have a medical condition, whether that's uh, pregnancy or, or diabetes, something like that, um, where it would be unwise to do a normal fast. And I would say, don't ever do anything that would, would harm yourself. That's not what Jesus is calling us to here. Um, but maybe your next step is a partial fast. If you go back to the book of Daniel, he actually did a partial fast where he rejected any food that brought him joy and, and used that as an opportunity to fast. So maybe you talk to your doctor and you go, maybe I could do smaller portions of rice or bread or something like that, which also will have the same effect. It'll decrease full satisfaction and increase your desire for prayer and longing for God. I'm just saying, I know our flesh always when it comes to fasting is gonna push against this. So you have to be intentional to go, what will be my next step? We need to fight against it. So is fasting difficult at times? Sure. Is it worth it? I'd argue more than you'll ever know. And as we close, I, um, I want to zoom out. And i uh, we're talking specifically about fasting. I kind of want to zoom out and look at this mini-series that we've been talking about kind of as a whole within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount was very direct on things like anger and lust. And I would say, absolutely, we are called not to compromise in those areas. But we as Christians are not just called to survive. Like that's not not what we're called to is like baseline survival. We as Christians are called to thrive in the culture that God has given us. So the last three weeks that we talked about giving prayer and fasting, yes, he's been rebuking religious hypocrisy. But at the same time, he's been showing us what we should do. Giving, praying, and fasting are gifts of grace that Jesus has given to his church to be a light in this world. You have the opportunity, just like me right now, in this season of life, to hit the reset button and go, what am I, how am I gonna give myself to these three things in a way that would honor Jesus? And my hope as we do this collectively as a church is to turn the Cedar Valley and the world upside down in the name of Jesus. I, uh, I read a book uh, this summer called Beautiful Resistance uh, by John Tyson, and in it he shared a story of Diedrich Bonhoeffer that I haven't forgot since and I think will probably stick with me the rest of my life. If you are unfamiliar with Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was an influential Christian during World War II. Uh, he fought against the evils of Hitler, and as we know, I mean, you want to talk about Hitler and the impact he had on the world, some of the most horrific accounts of All world history happened in that time as uh, millions of Jews uh, were slaughtered in the Holocaust. But you might not know this, um, the, the evil that was happening wasn't just like outside the church walls. There was also compromise happening within the church walls. The church was starting to give their allegiance to Hitler rather than to King Jesus. And Bonhoeffer called this out. He said, Hitler did not merely want to rule Germany politically. Rather, he wanted to control the hearts and souls of its citizens. So in resistance to that, Bonhoeffer and a group of other faithful saints started something that was called the Confessing Church. And the Confessing Church was going to have a high allegiance to King Jesus over and above everything else And they they saw a need for, for stronger training, stronger resistance to what was happening to the world around them. So in a rural town of Finkenwald, in a large empty house, they started an underground seminary. And I brought a picture, you know, of the students there with Bonhoeffer. It was interesting, this seminary was not for the faint of heart. Um, Bonhoeffer demanded a high level of discipline and accountability. There was a level of intensity. But his students again knew that their allegiance was to to Jesus and him alone, despite the cost. And and unfortunately, the cost was great. Um, Actually, a lot of these students ended up getting arrested by the Gestapo at one point. But as Bonhoeffer was starting the seminary, as, as the ball was getting rolling his friends um, started to question what he was doing and some of the tactics he was using. They were starting to say like, aren't what you doing, like, is what you're doing, Diedrich? Is, isn't it a little over the top? Like, aren't you taking this too far? Isn't this a little too intense, what you're doing with your students? And at one point, uh, one of his friends, Wilhelm Niesel, came up from Berlin to, to specifically visit with Bonhoeffer about these concerns that him and some of the other Bonhoeffer's friends were having. So, in response to that, Bonhoeffer took Wilhelm on a rowing trip to Oder Sound, and one author described what happened next in this way. When the two rowers reached the far shore, Bonhoeffer and Niesel up on a small hill to a clearing from which they could see in the distance a vast field and the runways of a nearby squadron. German fighter planes were taking off and landing, and soldiers moved hurriedly in purposeful patterns like so many ants. Bonhoeffer spoke of a new generation of Germans in training whose disciplines were formed for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. It would be necessary, he explained, to propose a superior discipline if the Nazis were to be defeated. And he said, you have to be stronger than these tormentors that you find everywhere today. Bonhoeffer was convinced that his training at Finkenwald Seminary needed to be superior to that of Hitler with his German troops. And as John Tyson put it, essentially what that paragraph said is Dietrich Bonhoeffer took Wilhelm Niesel up to a small hill and in front of him laid Finkenwald and that, that large empty house that they put students in and the German airfields in front of him. And he said... This must be stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. Candia, this is our call from Jesus. We are kingdom people who are at spiritual war until the day Jesus comes back to make all things new. So we need to have a wartime mindset. Our love for others and generosity towards them needs to be stronger than our greed and selfishness our passion for prayer needs to be stronger than our apathy. And our hunger for God needs to be stronger than our hunger for anything else this world has to offer. We need God's strength to do any of that, absolutely. But he has given us his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and has empowered us in such a way to be his kingdom people. So Christian, Yes, we wait with anticipation for the day Jesus comes back to get us and bring us to that wedding feast. But until that day, as we wait, my prayer is that we would have a desire and hunger for God that is stronger than anything this world has to offer. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are so good to us. We are grateful for the bloody cross and what it means for our salvation. We're grateful that um, there's a reality that you, your work has been accomplished on the cross and the empty tomb, but um, you still haven't come back yet. And we do. We, we wait with anticipation for that day to come back. But as we wait, would we anticipate that day the way you call us to? by fasting, by praying, by being the kingdom people you have called us to be. Oh, Jesus, we need your help. We need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to do any of these things. But I do believe that you've called your kingdom people to be a fasting people. And the only way that that's gonna ever be possible without guilt, shame, anything like that is by understanding that God, you are worthy of all of our praise and that we hunger for you and desire you more than anything else this world has to offer. So we love you and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.